you are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys here. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. On today's show, we will continue our SEC East week-long preview. Today, we'll head out to Knoxville, talk all things Vols with the host of Locked On Vols, Josh Ward. We'll also preview the Kentucky Wildcats with John Hale of the Courier-Journal. Cats and Vols could be two teams that play spoiler this year to Georgia and Tennessee. And of course, we will go around the conference with some of the biggest stories from around the league, including LSU and maybe Coach O putting his foot in his mouth after something he said yesterday. We'll get to all of that in just a second. But I am Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked On SEC for free wherever you get your podcast. You'll get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day on your phone. And yes, we are a five-day-a-week podcast. You'll get the latest news from the SEC. First off, before we get started, I just want to say thoughts and prayers to all the folks in South Alabama, Mississippi, and Florida, all dealing with the remnants of Hurricane Sally at the time of this recording. It uh, seen some of the pictures along the Gulf Coast, not great. So thoughts and prayers to all of you guys out there. I know we got some, looking at the numbers, we've got some of you that listen to the uh, podcast from that area. I was just down in uh, Gulf Shores a couple weeks ago. We stayed at the Kiva Dunes down there, and really a great spot, and Crazy to see some of the wind and water damage that's happened in that area. So, again, thoughts and prayers to all you folks that live in that area. It is, of course, SEC country all up and down the Florida Panhandle, you know, all the whole southern area of Alabama, and, of course, southeast Mississippi as well. Another thing I just want to mention off the top, shout-out to the Big Ten coming around and deciding today that they are going to play college football this fall. Heather Dinich was on Paul Feinbaum this afternoon, and she said that, College football playoff executive director Bill Hancock told her they have not yet determined if a minimum number of games played would be required to qualify for the college football playoff. Hancock told her, no, it's still too early. There's a lot of speculation on will the Big Ten be eligible for the playoff as they're only going to play eight games, they've said. Now, they're going to play eight games in eight weeks. There is no room for error. If they have an outbreak or something like that, I got to think they're just going to cancel games. So... You know, what happens if Ohio State cancels two games and they sit there at 6-0 and the end of November? I don't know. That's going to be for the college football playoff committee to decide. But I do know the SEC will certainly have one, if not two, if not three teams in the playoff this season. All right, let's do it. We do this every day. Let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the handoff. What a catch. Around the conference. I love our new intro. Hey, Florida edge rusher Jeremiah Moon says championship goals kept the Gators together. Quote, nobody was going to opt out. Florida and Alabama, seemingly two of the only few teams around the country that had no players opt out of this season. Senior Bowl director Jim Nagy noted uh, that Jeremiah Moon has got some impressive flashes of physical talent. said, look, while his play has not translated into great stats yet, we think outside linebacker Jeremiah Moon is one of the most physically talented defenders going into next year's draft. So he is a guy to keep an eye on for the Gators defensively this season. Uh, their linebackers coach, Christian Robinson, is talking about the COVID pandemic, having active cases. Players are told time and time again, 
to, quote, do your part. Emphasis has been put on our goals that we have and aspirations are highs are high and our guys have accepted that challenge. Over at LSU, their athletic director, Scott Woodward, said Coach O at Ogeron was, quote, too transparent when revealing most of the college of the uh, LSU football team has already caught COVID-19. Woodward said LSU will still not provide specific numbers and said the players are receiving world-class care. If you missed it yesterday, Coach O said, quote, not all of our players, but most of our players have already caught COVID. Hadn't it already happened to Clemson, too? Didn't we find out? Like half the damn Clemson team test positive right when they reported back to campus. Something worth keeping an eye on. Ole Miss has not had a relevant tight end since Evan Ingram in 2016. We saw him out on the field the other night at Monday Night Football. But if there's one thing we know about Lane Kiffin offenses, he loves to involve the tight end. So the question is, who will be that guy for Ole Miss this year? Well, Devon Peniman is a former four-star running back. He transitioned to tight end last year. He's not expected to be a major contributor, but two main guys to watch, two transfers, Chase Rogers from Louisiana and Kenny Yaboa from Temple, two guys who could play big roles in that tight end spot. Another guy to watch, four-star freshman tight end Demarcus Thomas. Look, we know Lane Kiffin's going to throw the ball around. The tight end's going to be involved. He did it at FAU. He did it at Alabama. He's going to do it at Ole Miss. The Alabama Crimson tied three former Alabama players are among the 130 modern era nominees for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2021. It was announced today, running back Sean Alexander, linebacker Cornelius Bennett, and offensive tackle Chris Samuels all on that list. In my book, all three belong in. Go ahead and put them in, but Sean Alexander probably the, I guess, of the biggest names. The guy was on the cover of Madden. Uh, I think most people would say he belongs in there. And I think all three belong in there. So worth noting, three Alabama great players. Mississippi State, less than two weeks. They will take on defending national champ LSU in Baton Rouge. Mike Leach still installing his air raid offense in Starkville. But even he admits that side of the ball is not quite up to his standards as of yet. On Monday, he was on Paul Feinbaum's show, asked about how far along his offense is. And Mike Leach did not sound overly happy with his team's grasp of the new offensive scheme. He said it's still a work in progress, still working on it day by day. And oh, by the way, they have not yet named a starter, a quarterback. We all expect it to be uh, Costello from uh, transfer from Stanford. But Mike Leach said, quote, heck, if I want the guy to run a post, I'm just going to scream out, hey, throw the post. Maybe he'll throw it. Got to love having Mike Leach in the SEC. And that is around the conference coming up you do not want to miss this we're going to talk all things tennessee volunteers with our buddy josh ward he hosts the locked on vols podcast you do not want to miss it a quick minute here for our friends at built bar they are the best tasting protein bar ever i know a lot of those protein bars out there you get at health stores they look good and once you open them they have that gross chalky taste and you end up taking a couple bites and throwing them away. That is not the case with Built Bar. They have got 18 amazing flavors, including six new ones. My favorite, the cookies and cream. It is so good, you don't even realize what you're eating is actually good for you. You can grab one after a workout. Or look, if you're just looking to lose or maintain your weight, try to get away from some of those fast foods. This could be a great option for you if you're looking to go down that path. Built Bars are low in calories, low in sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And just head to builtbar.com. You want to use the promo code locked on. You will get $10 off 
your next order, but you have to use the promo code Locked On. You get $10 off, and you'll be on your way to eating better, feeling better as you get ready for this SEC football season at BuiltBar.com. Rolling along here on the Locked On SEC podcast. Chris Gordy here with you, and we're continuing our SEC East preview week here. Today we're catching up on the Kentucky Wildcats and the Tennessee Volunteers, and we do just that with our guy Josh Ward. He is host of the Locked On Vols podcast, and he joins us now. Josh, what's going on, man? Hey, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We are uh, counting down the days to SEC football. First off, uh, did you have any fear these last couple of months that we would not be here knocking on the door of the start of another SEC football season? I'd be lying if I said I didn't have some kind of fear, uh, largely because uh, my livelihood uh, largely depends on football taking place with the podcast and doing radio every day. But I also remain confident that the SEC was going to do everything it could to be able to play and that the other power conferences would try as well. Uh, when the Big Ten and Pac-12 made those announcements in the middle of August, that that did not uh, create confidence, but I'm I'm just really glad to be in the position we're in and glad that the SEC is getting really close to kicking off. All right, let's just jump right into it. I know a lot of uh, excitement around the Vols this year, uh, another year of progressively getting better. Uh, they finished as one of the hotter teams down the stretch of last season. Uh, first off, I saw Eric Gray was back at practice yesterday after being under quarantine. Is he going to be 100% next week, or is uh, Ty Chandler going to see a little bit larger share of the carries next week? Well, I do think that Ty Chandler's actually been left out of the conversation too often or has not gotten enough attention because he's going to be a really important player here. Both of those guys will be, Chandler and Gray. And we saw Gray at the end of last season show what he's capable of doing against Vanderbilt and against Indiana, which are not Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, I know. But Gray showed the ability, the the, the big play potential that he has the ability to hit a home run so he's going to have to be an important part of the offense but let's not forget Chandler who has played a lot he can help Tennessee I think as a runner and maybe a receiver out of the backfield when Chandler spoke to the media recently he talked about working on his receiving skills and I think that's something that Jim Chaney the offense coordinator will try to rely on as well with a, a new look receiving course so if we were to look at the just skill positions for Tennessee and we rank the most important players I think Chandler and Gray are two of the top three guys for sure and you could argue that they're number one and two. A uh, buddy of mine was who's a big Vols fan wanted me to ask about Tennessee recruiting Jimmy Holiday uh, flipping him from TCU to play quarterback but he's currently playing wide receiver is he a guy who maybe has a chance to play quarterback down the road, or you know, is he maybe a, a guy who may end up transferring down the road? Well, I think if Holiday were to be a quarterback, Tennessee would likely be in an emergent situation. I think Harrison Bailey is the player in this class, the, the freshman class that the coaches look at as somebody who will be a part of the future. They've recruited Caden Salter, who's going to come in, and uh, I don't know if he'll be playing right away or competing for a position right away, but he will factor in somehow immediately in the 2021 class. So I think Holiday is a guy that realistically they looked at and said he's likely to be a receiver. He was making that move during the spring. Uh, he was heading in that direction, I think. So he's a guy that's a really good athlete, and he's a part of a deep receiver class, but it's, it's an open competition among those players. So um, right now I would say that Holiday has a chance to be a really good receiver at Tennessee. If it doesn't work out, then, yeah, uh, he might look to, to move somewhere else, unless he's – Dead set on going back to quarterback. If that's the case, then I don't think that's going to be at Tennessee. 
you kind of your question kind of or your answer kind of tied into my next question. I was going to ask, you know, we know Josh Palmer. Who else do you think is is going to step up and answer the call at the wide receiver spot this year? Well, they have a long list of players, and the freshmen are going to factor in. But I think after Palmer, we start a lot of the conversation with some guys that do have some experience are going to have that chance. Valus Jones is a newcomer, but uh, he's played in the Pac-12, and he's played for T. Martin, Tennessee's receivers coach, and uh, has transferred in from USC. So Valus Jones is a, a big-time speed threat who will factor in in the return game as well for Tennessee on special teams. Brandon Johnson is back as a fifth-year senior. He's a guy that Tennessee can rely on. He's played a lot with Jarrett Garantano. Uh, there's a third-year player, Cedric Tillman, who's a big-body receiver, 6'3", 215. He's going to have an opportunity and might be somebody to pay attention to in the red zone. And then a second-year player in Ramel Keaton. He was a high school All-American. He was the guy a year ago getting the kind of attention that this current freshman class is receiving. So he's somebody to pay attention to. So it's really right now a roll call, and then let's see who steps up in those games because last year it was Juwan Jennings, Mark West Calloway, Don Wood Anderson. Every once in a while you'd see Tyler Bird get an opportunity, and those guys are gone. So the only player that they're bringing back that they know they can count on at receiver is Josh Palmer. A lot of players have been challenged to step up, and they know that they're going to be pushed by freshmen as well. Tell, tell me this is the year the light comes on for Garantano and it's just it's him he's the starter all season he's successful there's no bumps in the road and it's just his job tell me that you know for him I hope that that's the case it'd be good for (laughs) Tennessee as well but what a story it would be if Garantano who's been at Tennessee for five years and he grew up pulling for Tennessee and he, he gets to Tennessee and he has his ups and his downs and Last year when he's for sure the guy and he's expected to take a big jump, he actually loses his starting job but then comes back and uh, not being perfect, but he helps Tennessee get to six straight wins and, uh, and to finish the season on a really positive note. If he could finish his time at Tennessee on a really positive note, he could then hand the reins over to whichever quarterback ends up being the next guy. That'd be good for him. That would be good for Tennessee. That would be something to sell on the recruiting trail, not just to quarterbacks but to players. Hey, look at the progress we've helped garantano make and then that would probably mean other players as well so for him for tennessee i hope that's how it plays out what is the latest you are hearing on the cade mays saga i know just about everybody is going to bat for the kid now saying look ncaa you're making all these other people eligible make this kid eligible what's the latest there yeah well trey smith is the latest to be very public in battling on behalf of cade mays tennessee senior offensive lineman spoke to the media this week and uh, really went after the NCAA and, and said, hey, you, you have these people making decisions in suits and reading their papers and drinking their coffee. Meanwhile, Cade's out here working, trying to play, and also pointed out, hey, this is supposed to be a year where you're not losing any, elig- any eligibility. Meanwhile, you're saying that Cade's ineligible to play, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, the, the latest is that Tennessee's just hoping, and Cade is going through the appeals process, and he has an attorney in Knoxville who's representing him, but how can I sit here and, and tell you confidently one way or the other which way it's going to go because the NCAA can be unpredictable. I do wonder the fact that it's a transfer within the conference and within the same division of the SEC. Is that something that hurts Cade's case? Also, I would like to know more information about the appeals process, knowing that Tennessee is trying to make it more or Cade is trying to make it more about uh, a bad situation at Georgia that – um, you know, maybe that case wasn't made quite as strongly beforehand. Uh, how does the NCAA receive that? They might ask, well, why wasn't this part of the conversation beforehand? So it's, uh, it's frustrating. It's a situation with less than a week and a half to go before Tennessee plays football, and Kate doesn't know if he's going to be able to play. But this is not the first, and it's probably not going to be the last frustrating situation for Tennessee with the NCAA. If, by miracle, they do 
come out and say he is eligible and he plays this year. Where does this offensive line rank in your mind? I think Tennessee will have one of the best offensive lines in the SEC for sure if Cade plays. If he doesn't, the potential is there, but a lot will have to break Tennessee's way. The Vols do have Trey Smith. Brandon Kennedy at center helps lead the way, and they're deeper. They're more talented than they've been the last couple of years. But a lot of the buildup has been around some of the younger guys like Wanya Morris. I don't even know if he'll be a starter as a second-year player. He might be, but he might not. Uh, Darnell Wright, I don't think he'll be a starter on the right side of the offensive line. Now, the fact that that's in question could speak to the depth, but does it also limit the potential? Maybe. If Cade Mays is out there, there's a potential all-SEC player that is just locked into a spot, either at right guard or right tackle. I would say he could play on the left side. That's an option as well. So this is a big deal, uh, whether Cade can play and how good Tennessee's offensive line will be. Talking with Josh Ward, host of the Locked on Vols podcast. We know Jeremy Pruitt's bread and butter is on the defensive side of the ball. Who's a name or two you're looking to have a big year on that side? Yeah, on the defensive side, uh, Henry Toto is going to lead the way. Uh, Bryce Thompson at corner has a ton of potential. I've really liked the potential of a a second-year safety in Jalen McCullough. And uh, he's a guy that, with Jeremy Pruitt coaching, Derek Ansley coaching in the secondary, you just look at the talent and you see what they've done with guys in the past, and I think McCullough could be next in that conversation. Who emerges as a pass rusher? If Kevon Bennett's a really good player, that's going to help Tennessee's defense. The defensive line is a group that Jeremy Pruitt has challenged publicly, and it's a group that's experienced. Uh, that You have a bunch of older guys, but um, playing well against – Some of the the lower-level teams of the SEC is one thing. What can you do against Georgia, which is is going to be really good on the offensive line? Kentucky, Alabama, those are three straight games for Tennessee in the first half of the season. And if Tennessee's defensive line struggles, well, the defense is going to have a difficult time reaching its potential. But Henry Toto is going to lead that that group. And I'll be curious, second-year linebacker Kovaris Krauts next to Tooto, he was a big time get for Tennessee in the 2019 class. If Tooto and, and Crouch can play really well at linebacker, that also would be a big lift for Tennessee's defense. What did you make of the schedule? Obviously, look, everybody had to add two more SEC opponents with going 10 games conference only, but adding Auburn and adding Texas A&M, I guess the good news is you miss LSU, but it still is uh, makes for a brutally tough schedule. It is difficult. Uh, I've often pointed out to Tennessee fans, remember, nobody has an easy schedule playing 10 SEC games. And I would say for Tennessee's schedule, it's, it's lined up pretty, fa- I don't know if favorably is the right word, but as, as best as you could hope for a schedule to be uh, put together, Tennessee has, a, for the most part, a schedule that is uh, stronger opponent, weaker opponent, up and down. A&M and Auburn are back-to-back. That's going to be really difficult. But you get the off week in the middle of the season. Tennessee's not playing teams who are off the week before they play the Vols. And Tennessee gets Florida at home in December. And I do think that's more favorable than typically playing Florida in the middle of September. So it's not easy. And uh, Tennessee, is is, it has to be ready for South Carolina on the road. It better be ready for Kentucky, sandwiched in between Georgia and Alabama. But uh, if Tennessee is as good as it thinks it can be, then it's going to be able to manage that schedule okay. I was going to say, how much are they hoping for snow on December 5th with Florida coming to town? Well, Tennessee fans uh, feel good bringing up the fact that the last last time these two teams played in December, that was at the end of the 2001 season after 9-11 had happened, and Tennessee went down to the swamp and won. Now you get Florida in colder weather. Yeah, fans wouldn't mind a (laughs) snow game, the the 25,000 or so that – 
would be expected to be at Neyland Stadium. I'm sure that they would get a little bit louder for Florida at home and would love some cold weather to maybe cool off the Gators. Yeah, it's. I just love how this the all the schedules, it just shapes up, man. If we get through this season successfully, there's going to be some, some monster games. I mean, you talk about conference games week in and week out, no cupcakes. It's just, it sets up for a really, really entertaining season. And look, it's not the best. It's not what we wanted, but we'll take it. And it's SEC football. He is Josh Ward, Locked on Vols is a podcast. Uh, let our listeners know what you got on the uh, podcast this week. Yeah, we have a, a lot of coverage leading up to the start of the season. So we're talking about the different position groups. You can hear from Trey Smith on this week's podcast. He, he's very strong in his comments about the Insta and in, in Tennessee's football team and Jeremy Pruitt as well. So looking ahead to the opener against South Carolina, and um, they're five days a week on Locked on Vols. Awesome. Josh, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate the time. We'll do this again. You got it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Josh Ward there of Locked on Vols. Again, uh, make sure you subscribe over there and check out what the volunteers have going. If you're a Tennessee fan, you definitely don't want to miss that. And uh, really appreciate him coming on. We'll check back in with Josh as the season gets rolling along. On the other side, we will discuss the Kentucky Wildcats with John Hale. Covers the UK uh, athletics with the Courier-Journal. John Hale, up next. Locked on SEC podcast rolling on here. Chris Gordy here with you in our week-long SEC East preview, counting down the days to the start of the SEC football season. Today we are talking about the Tennessee Volunteers of the Kentucky Wildcats and a guy who covers the University of Kentucky sports for the Courier-Journal. John Hale joins us now. John, what's going on, man? Not much. How are you? I'm doing good because we're getting ever so closer to the start of SEC football season. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, seemed like we would not be getting to this point, but good news today and that the Big Ten is now proceeding with their season and seems like everybody is doing the right thing. Let's start uh, with what is the latest you're hearing on the Joey Gatewood saga because look, a lot of attention has been on that transfer quarterback from Auburn. Uh, what is the latest you're hearing on that saga? Yeah, it's interesting. Mark Stoops on his Monday Colin show said that he's pretty confident they're going to hear something this week, which is obviously good for Kentucky because they need to know like what his availability is. I mean, they're they're to the point in practice now where it's shifting from the, the camp, you know, everybody get get you know everybody better kind of goal to actually prepping for week one, which also happens to be Auburn. And so they need to know who's who's available for that game in terms of how they're organizing their quarterback reps. And until they know for sure that Joey's available, I don't think you can give him the majority of the second team reps right now. You've got to get other guys prepared in case they need them to go in that game. Uh, it seems like everybody around the program has, feels pretty good about him getting eligible at some point. The real question, though, is whether he's going to be eligible for that first game. And, and it's important to remember that it's not just an NCAA issue. Um, it's also an SEC issue since he's he's, tra- he's transferring from one SEC program to another. So is there some sort of arrangement where he can play this year, but he can't play against Auburn? Uh, it seems to be some people are floating that idea out there. I, I do know that uh, that particular opening game, I think, has added some intrigue to this decision and also some extra considerations from the league side of things. Yeah, I just love the whole idea of a quote-unquote gentleman's agreement that he wouldn't play in that first game. That said, if you're Kentucky, you maybe don't need him unless Terry Wilson goes down. Uh, how excited is Mark Stoops and that staff to, one, be getting Terry Wilson back? Because, you know, look, last season went kind of funky, them having to go with Lynn Bowden, who's a wide receiver at quarterback, but 
although it it was successful for them, I think they got to be excited to get Terry Wilson back in there. Yeah, absolutely, for a variety of reasons. I mean, A, you don't have Lynn Bowden anymore, so you don't have the you know maybe the best athlete in the country who can do things with the ball in his hands, even when everybody in the stadium and everybody on the field knows he's going to run it. They just don't have a player who can execute that same offense anymore. So they need uh, some sort of uh, ability to throw the ball more consistently. And let's face it, they need that for recruiting too. You're never going to sign good wide receivers and skilled position players, quarterbacks moving forward if they think of Kentucky as a school that runs it you know, 40 times a game and throws it eight times a game. That's just not going to go very well. So they're very eager to get back to that. Uh, traditional offense and, and then they're also you know pretty excited about Terry individually I mean it's easy to forget uh, for all his flaws and he's not a perfect quarterback by any means from the games we've seen he won 10 games in his first year as a starter which is something that hadn't happened in Kentucky since 1977 and he won the first two games of the next year before he went down with a season in the injury so he's 12 and 3 as a starter a lot of that has to do with the players around him and the run game and everything else but they expected him to make a big jump last year and there were signs in those first two games against uh, Mac competition. He was going to make some of those jumps. Uh, now the question is, how rusty is he? You know, how much did his kind of natural progression get hurt by that year away? I think those are all fair questions to to ask. But it seems like they've been excited about what he's done in camp so far, uh, and and they're eager to see what he does out there. Once he, you know, he's got to take his first hit. He's got to do all those things to get over the mental hurdle of this. Uh, but once he gets through that. Uh, it's it, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons to be optimistic about quarterback play moving forward. It, the whole landscape of the offense really changed when Lynn went to quarterback. It was more, you know, there was a lot more running at the quarterback spot. Um, if they do get back to more of that traditional um, offense, you know, throwing the ball around a lot more, uh, they have to feel pretty confident with the backfield, right? I mean, you get Rose yeah. and, and one of the best names in sports and Cavassier Smoke uh, back in that backfield. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, they want to throw the ball. They want to have that credible passing attack, but this is always going to be a team that is built first around its offensive line and its run game because they've been so successful and, and they've got so much talent up front, especially, and they have this three-headed backfield with A.J. Rose and Cavassier Smoke and Chris Rodriguez, who had a bunch of good games down the stretch last year. They've got two other running backs they're really excited about, a redshirt freshman, Travis Tisdale, and then the guy that we've maybe heard the most about in, in preseason camp, Jatine McLean, a, a true freshman uh, who nobody expected to play right away this year, but they keep talking about him in the same kind of terms. They talked about Benny Snell four years ago when he was a freshman, and that he came on campus and forced them to play him. So I think he's going to play some too. When you have that kind of run game, it decreases the pressure on Terry to come back and you know carry the team from day one as he's, as he's working on his way back from injury. They've still got questions at receiver. Uh, how much did the young guys at that position really get out of last year when they know that they were coming to practice every day and they weren't going to catch any balls? That's that's a fair question, too. Uh, but if they can establish some sort of credible passing attack, it should open up even more for those running backs and their ability to, to make plays that we've seen so much before. Well, in your mind, where does this offensive line rank in the SEC? We hear all about Alabama, Tennessee supposed to be strong, but it seems like People are pretty bullish on this Kentucky group. Is top three fair to say in the conference? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think the one question that we still have about this group, and we'll learn some this year, is, is how much were their kind of metrics last year which were off the charts. I mean, depending on where you look, I think Pro Football Focus has uh, Landon Young and Darian Kennard as maybe the two best tackles in the country coming back. 
Uh, well, how much of their grading last year was just because all they were doing was run blocking because at the end of the season, they just never had to pass block. And, and what does that look like now that they have to actually drop back and protect a, a quarterback in the pocket, you know, for you know four or five seconds every, you know, every so often, are, are they able to do that as well as they can run block? Uh, we'll see. I think that all those guys are really talented. They've got three former U S army, all Americans starting on that line and, and young canard in the center, Drake Jackson. They've got some depth, uh, all those guys are really experienced. I think it ranks up there, you know, right? You'd have, I, I imagine you probably still put it behind the Alabamas and, and Georgia of the world just because of how they recruit every year. But uh, production and talent and depth, I, I have a hard time imagining there's more than two or three teams in the SEC that, that are better on the line than Kentucky is right now. We're talking with John Hale, covers the University of Kentucky for the Courier-Journal. Uh, defense has been this team's calling card the past couple of seasons under Mark Stoops. Uh, who are a couple guys who you expect to be leaders on that side of the ball? Yeah, it'll be interesting because they obviously lost Cash Daniel. It's basically the only guy on, on defense they lost to is uh, quite the polarizing figure, I think, both for Kentucky fans and certainly for uh, opposing fans after what happened at Florida and uh, with Kyle Trask last year. But he was their rah-rah leader, the guy who got everybody hyped up and did all the crazy videos on. So if they don't have that guy anymore – uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if they're more of a lead by example, if if they can handle that, if they still have the same sort of fire without that guy, you know, lighting them up in the huddle every every single play or whatever. Uh, but I think that if you're looking for individuals, Boogie Watson, the outside linebacker, has a, I don't think he's Josh Allen by any means, but they, the Brad White, the the defensive coordinator, and the outside linebackers coach they brought in from the Colts before Allen's senior year and really turned Allen into the top ten draft pick he was says very similar things about Boogie Watson in terms of his ability to make a big jump from his junior to senior year. He, he could be a really, really important player for this team. Uh, Josh Paschal, who has a great off-the-field story two years ago, he missed most of the year because he was uh, undergoing uh, cancer treatments for uh, a malignant melanoma they found on the bottom of his foot right before uh, the season started. Now he's fully back and healthy. They moved him to the defensive line. He's a big body. He can add some pass rush there. He's kind of the heart and soul of this team. Um, and then DeAndre Square at linebacker is a guy who's going to have to do a lot. He's a quiet guy in terms of leadership, but he's one of their best players. Between those three guys and maybe throw in um, Yusuf Corker or the safety in the secondary, that those guys have to kind of lead from the front uh, for this defense to be as good as everybody thinks it can. All right, John, I normally wouldn't talk special teams with you, but they do have one of the better uh, punters in the, in the country, but the kicker spot, uh, Chance Poor, Unfortunate for his name, unfortunate for his situation. He missed a couple of big kicks for the the Wildcats last year. They also have the other kicker back, Matt, I think it's Ruffalo. But what do we expect from the kicker spot? Is that just going to be still an open competition, or is this Chance Poor's job? No, Monday, uh, Mark Stoops on his call show actually announced it's Matt Ruffalo's job. I mean, he was the guy, he's the walk-on, which is interesting. I mean, Kentucky has had an issue the last three or four years in terms of uh, everybody in the SEC is in such a scholarship crunch trying to get the best uh, record. Well, Kentucky, for two years in a row, has carried a scholarship kicker who was not even the starter, which is uh, not great scholarship <laughs> management. Last year it was uh, their backup punter, Grant McKendis, who handled kickoffs. He transferred to Missouri uh, in the offseason, but this year it's Chance Bohr, who in three years has – had a couple of opportunities to win the job at, at kicker and lost it both times. Uh, Matt Ruffalo was a walk-on that nobody really expected much from when he got to campus, but he was steady for the most part uh, when he filled in at that spot last year. Missed a couple extra points, which I think is what opened the door for Chance to have his opportunity. 
but overall his field goal numbers are pretty good and and from all indications he's added some leg strength in the offseason which was his weakness uh in saturday's scrimmage he supposedly hit one from 53 or 54 yards so if he can do that if he can you know he doesn't need to hit a 54 yarder but if he could if he's got legitimate range from 45 to 50 and he's steady uh, i think they're just going to let him run with that job and figure out the scholarship situation later with kicker Lastly, John, uh, thoughts on the expanded conference schedule for the Cats this year. They add Alabama and Ole Miss. Look, you add a trip to Alabama. That is never easy. It is later in the year, but just thoughts on the uh, schedule, how it's shaped up. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty fair. I mean, the way that the order is is kind of daunting in the the second half, they go to Alabama and Florida, I think, in back-to-back weeks. That's going to be really, really difficult. Uh, But because they had Mississippi State as their, you know, their – every year rival from the West already. Uh, they were not going to be lucky enough to get, let's say, Ole Miss and Arkansas from the draw. You knew they were going to get one of the heavy hitters from the West. And so playing at Alabama is about as hard as it gets. But there's you know, not going to be a full house with the crowd restrictions. That helps you a little bit. Um, this team has a lot of confidence. And, and by the time they get to that game, we'll know about a lot about who Kentucky is in terms of are they a legitimate contender in the East. If they are, then you think they could go uh, in front of a 20% crowd at Alabama or whatever, and at least keep it close and make it respectable. And, and that's kind of where they're at. If you want to, if you want to contend for the East, you got to go out and beat good teams. You can't rely on the schedule just bouncing your way. I, I do think it sets up in a nice way early on. If you could somehow upset Auburn next week in that first game, there's a real chance to be, you know, what five and one, six and one when they go to Georgia in, in a game that would, you know, have obviously uh, SEC East implications there. Uh, if this team is as good as they think they are and they say they are, uh, the schedule is certainly going to be the test for them to go out and you know you know put up or shut up. All right, for our listeners who uh, like to dabble in sports betting, what chance do you give them winning at Auburn next week? I actually think it's pretty good. Um, I'll be interested to see what the the quarterback situation is altogether, uh, whether Joey Gatewood's eligible or not. Um, we do need to see Terry Wilson out there in an actual game before we can 100% say, okay, he's the guy he was before his injury. And as long as that possibility is out there, you need to feel good about your other options. And having Joey Gatewood on the bench would help. Uh, Sawyer Smith, their other backup, who used to play at Troy, was not very good when he when he filled in after Terry got hurt last year, but he was also banged up how much of that was injury. They're really, really high on the true freshman, Bo Allen, from in Lexington. He's a four-star recruit. Um, I don't think it's fair to expect him to go out and play at Auburn his very first college game, though, so that, that worries me a little bit. And then the other thing to watch is just what the, you know, this is for every team, but what are the COVID testing numbers going to be between now and then? Mark Stoops said Saturday they were a little limited in the scrimmage. It sounds like especially in the secondary they've gotten hit there by a couple positive tests and some contact tracing, keeping other guys out. I think for every game this year, the real X factor is going to be who who steps off the bus when we get to these stadiums, who's available for each team. And, you know, given what the uncertainty is, I mean, Auburn could have a bunch of guys missing, Kentucky could have a bunch of guys missing, and it's going to be really hard to predict week one to week two. But if everybody's everybody's healthy and available for both teams, I think Kentucky has a legitimate chance. All right, so I think I heard you say take Kentucky plus 10.5 next week. We'll run with it. Uh, John Hale covers uh, University of Kentucky for the Courier-Journal. John, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks, John. That's uh, John Hale of the Courier-Journal. You can follow him on Twitter at John Hale underscore CJ. That is just about going to do it for us on this edition of Locked on SEC. My thanks to our guests in John Hale covering UK, Josh Ward covering Tennessee. Our SEC East preview week will continue tomorrow. And also, 
Some very special guests coming up in the next couple days. We're going to talk with Herb Vincent from the SEC office, get his thoughts on how different game days will be for fans going to games. I know a lot of you out there are going to have tickets and going to your SEC campuses. It'll be game days not like you're used to. So we'll talk with Herb Vincent and Ryan McGee from Marty and McGee. He's got a new book out. We will talk with him about that as well as get his thoughts on the landscape of the SEC. So real excited about those coming up in the next couple of days. Remember, you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Gordy. Give me a follow and give the show a follow at Locked on SEC on Twitter. And remember, you can always subscribe to follow this podcast right now. However you find your podcast, it's Locked on SEC five days a week. Now head on over, check out our guy Josh Ward, Locked on Vols podcast. Give him a listen. Guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.